You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards Nagel, and Taylor Polindo. I wanted to introduce Vanessa just because I get the pleasure of knowing you before these ladies meet you <laughs> um, and everyone else that listens to what you have to say today. But I met Vanessa through one of my best friends many years ago, and I'm really excited to listen to Vanessa's expertise on anxiety because when you meet someone and they have this certain type of energy, and to me, Vanessa is such serenity. Every time I've been around you, I feel Ooh, this like sense okay. of sereneness and uh, and we're talking about anxiety and how it translates in the body and what better person to talk to that is an expert in the field and is serene herself in my observation through time with you although limited and then briefly i wanted to also brag a little bit about something you've created which we can talk about later but i love and i know some people listen some people watch so i'm just showing a fun thing that you created which is called a support deck and i think is so amazing it's a deck of support deck of cards that vanessa designed it says featuring therapeutic practices to help you manage big feelings a guide to dealing with stress and anxiety and they're really beautifully illustrated cards i have used them before just different things like how to move through your body and can you read one so one I really like says, get curious about yourself. And on the front side of the card, you'll see this like beautiful art and the idea of what to do or how to process what's going on. And the flip side of the card, it will give you options, opportunities to work through those feelings or the mm -hmm. stress or anxiety that you're having. Yeah, so the back right. of this one says, get curious about yourself. And it will say, ask yourself open-ended questions. What happened? How did that make me feel? What has been the hardest part about this? What needs to happen to make this right? And what do I need right now? What I like about this one in particular, and just a lot of them, is it doesn't just throw the feeling or the anxiety at you, but it gives you opportunity to work through it and to move through that. I love that. Yeah. I have a quick question about this. So do I draw from the deck randomly yeah. when I have a feeling or do I go through it each day or what do you do? That's how I did it. I just would draw. <laughs> yeah. There's not a wrong way to do it. I mean, it's, you can win. <laughs> it's, so it's I would like to win. Yeah. yeah. I, win well, at anxiety. I don't know how you knew that that quickly about me, but Taylor and I both would like to win yeah, at whatever the contest right is. There's a wrong way. <laughs> My experience with anxiety has been, it can just sort of like shut down your ability to think logically. If you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed or even like angry, anything, anxiety or anything else, the card deck <laughs> is it. meant to help you essentially feel okay about not having your logic brain online for that second. And it's going to give you coping options that when you're calm might seem obvious, like go on a walk. Okay. Yeah. But you can't get there if you're really, really mad mm -hmm. or you can't get there if you're really, really overwhelmed. So then these just give you options. I could go on a walk that does help or I could get curious about myself. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I love them. We can get into more later about where we can hear more from you and whatnot, but it's just my intro of bragging a little bit about you and my experience, although limited, but enjoyable with you and through, I think I met you at like 10 years ago, I feel like. Maybe. It's possible. Well, maybe like seven. Yeah, it's been a while, yeah. but I don't know. Anyway, I'm looking forward to picking your brain, all of us, and just hearing what you have to share about how to process through this emotion or feeling that I don't actually enjoy, nor do I enjoy talking about, but want to learn more about. Okay. Yeah. Before we dive in, she said you're an expert. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
Yeah, definitely. Expert on anxiety. What does that entail? (laughs) That means that I grew up so anxious, (laughs) but but also um, I'm a licensed therapist. And so I got my master's and then you do a certain amount of hours in order to sit for the licensure exam and then you pass the exam. Those are the basic steps. What could maybe constitute somebody as an expert, but I sort of chose anxiety as a specialty because I've had personal experience with it and have mm-hmm. seen the other side of it, know that there is actually also relief and hope mm-hmm. on the other side. I have a, a just a yeah. quick overview question, which is, are we more anxious, do you think, or we just report it more as Great a society? Question. I'm curious. I, I think it's possible. It's both. I think it would depend a lot on the environment, but I think it's both. To use like a personal example, it seemed like I was the first person in my whole family to be anxious, but this relative and this grandma and whatever Mm -hmm. all had the same gastrointestinal issues that I had that were always unexplained by doctors. So they were probably anxious, but they didn't know. It's not that they they were ashamed of it. It's probably that they just didn't know. Okay. I didn't know for a long time. But then also if you add in things like the classics, social media, knowing what's going on in the world at all times, all the tragedies all at once, I Mm -hmm. think that would also cause for more anxiety. So it's probably both. Mm, Interesting. Okay, I got too excited and I forgot to ask, how do you as an expert define anxiety and what does it mean for it to translate in the body? It's a great question. Anxiety can have a lot of different explanations. I'm not stating that this is the only one. Mm. This is just the one I operate from. Let me start with a comparison. Anxiety would be different from stress based on whether or not it feels proportionate to the situation. Everybody experiences stress. That's a really normal thing to experience. Anxiety is also normal to experience. It just, it's at a higher caliber. So if you were feeling stressed about starting a new job tomorrow, that's really understandable. That sounds proportionate. If you were like, oh, I'm like kind of sweaty and like I didn't sleep super great last night because I'm nervous about this new job. That's, that's pretty proportionate to what's happening in your life. An anxiety response, which would be disproportionate, might be like they're vomiting before going to work on their first day, or they isolated the whole three days leading up to it, or they didn't sleep at all for a week. It's still valid and it's it makes sense, but it's cueing you into your body is having a response as if this were more life or death. So the differentiation is that stress, when it's attached to situations that are proportionate, then that's stress. But when it's disproportionate or way out of whack almost, it's too big of a response. Anxiety is much bigger than stress. Yeah. Stress picked way, way, way up. And it's usually, I mean, a lot of us, I think, are familiar with the terms fight or flight. It's when your body goes into some kind of major protection. We either have to fight for our life or flee for our life. And then freeze is also another mm-hmm. response that you can have. Freeze to stay alive. Your body's reacting in a life or death response way for a non-life or death situation. But mm-hmm. the reason it's still valid is because the body's reacting like that because there's some emotional response that feels like it is life or death. If I embarrass myself at this job tomorrow, I'm going to feel like I'm going to die. That's actually Mm -hmm. how your body's responding. So that's why it's legitimate. It's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes feeling like that. And we can do things to help it, but it's legitimate because your body actually thinks that something is really extremely wrong. There's something kind of similar to maybe like feeling sad versus being like clinically depressed and how that works with Mm -hmm. anxiety. So is there like a, oh, I get anxious because I'm throwing a party. So I feel like I need to like do everything and get everything done. And I can definitely relate to feeling anxious around that setting. 
but wouldn't necessarily think of myself as an anxious person generally. So are there levels to it or day-to-day versus, I don't know, like a diagnosed version of anxiety? If we're experiencing this, we should probably seek help from someone or find Mm -hmm. some tools. We need the answers, Vanessa. (laughs) (laughs) Made perfect sense. Sometimes when you diagnose, that can feel really comforting because you're like, oh, I'm not crazy. This has a name. And sometimes it can feel really stigmatizing because you're like, oh, I'm crazy. So (laughs) yeah, you can't win. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) And either way, you're anxious. So it's a, it's a lose, lose, lose. Trying to figure out if this is like a diagnosable thing or if it's just I get anxious before I host a party. The question you can ask yourself or ask somebody you love if they're trying to figure this out too is, is it affecting your daily functioning? If this is just, it kind of only randomly happens when big events are happening and that's manageable for you, it's like unpleasant, but you can still attend the party or you can still host then it's fine. If you want to go to therapy for that, that's also fine. Nobody's going to laugh if you come in saying like, I just want to feel more comfortable when I host social events, that's totally legitimate, but that's just kind of up to you. It's just more serious if it's affecting your appetite every day, or it's affecting your ability to get out of bed or affecting your ability to keep a job, have relationships, or even just feel sane in your own brain space. If it's a daily functioning issue, then it's probably, it's just probably more serious. You don't have to feel like that every day. We can, there are professionals who can help get you relief. Around anxiety, I hear this term regulated person. Kind of my guess is that you are a regulated person and why Mary thinks you're serene. Ooh. Is that how we deal with anxiety? We meet with regulated people. What is a regulated person? How do I become a regulated person? <laughs> I'm just chasing Vanessa down. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, wow, that is that, like That's my guess is when you're describing her, I'm like, I wonder if that's what a regulated person is and how do I become one? Wow. First of all, childhood Vanessa is shocked that we could be labeled as a regulated person. We feel very proud of ourselves. <laughs> Second of all, I think it can have a lot to do with being around regulated people. There's a thing called co-regulation. This is why like cuddling can be calming to the body or even just like a prolonged hug with a parent that feels safe or somebody you love, a friend that feels safe. Those all can help your body emotionally regulate. It might lower the production of cortisol, your stress hormone or, or something like that. But as far as just being a regulated person, I think I would actually just phrase it as, do you feel safe in your body Hmm. and in your own brain. That's how I would put it. But what I think it means is, do you feel like you can soothe yourself when things feel out of control, whether your emotions or your thoughts feel out of control? Even if it takes some time, that's Hmm. also very understandable. Are you able to kind of get yourself back to some kind of equilibrium or some kind of manageable place? I would consider that a regulated person. But I also think it's not just about being around regulated people because My husband is the most regulated person I've ever met. I can still just be a mess and that's not his fault. He can't relate to this on my level. So just being around him isn't going to solve. It may actually, I mean, depending on his reaction, if he had like a really insensitive reaction that might invalidate what I'm feeling and then Mm -hmm. I might feel more dysregulated. The co-regulation piece is real. Even just being around like a safe friend who's looking at you in the eyes that can provide co-regulation, but being regulated in your body, I think has more to do with being able to soothe after something is activating or triggering. And that means that your regulated person can be in control over their emotions? (laughs) I don't know how to do that. (laughs) Is that what a regulated person is? What what does that actually mean? I think it isn't you're in control of your emotions. Okay. As much as it is, are you able to... Is it balance? 
yeah, if you're able to get yourself to balance without causing harm, even like emotional harm to yourself or other people, there are going to be experiences either that are traumatic and out of your control. And it's not like you're regulated if it doesn't bother you. It's just if you're able to sort of get yourself to a place where either you can get help outside of yourself or self-soothe. I think mm-hmm. that's how I put it in the simplest terms, okay. not controlling your emotions, but being able to soothe at some point, whether that's through other people. Like reel yourself. them back in. I appreciate that someone that's regulated or balanced, whatever the word we want to use, is still affected by the situation or whatever happened. It's not that they're emotionless mm-hmm. or not. Right. They don't have anxious feelings, maybe, but they right. can. Okay. That's I how I put that. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 How do you teach that to a little kid? Can I just take all the questions? Sorry, you go. <laughs> no, you're fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so that. curious. I'm so curious. How do you teach this to a child? Yeah. How, to, how do you teach a child how to regulate their emotion? Or like if you're yeah, wake, initially but through I'm anxiety? Like, I thought I was very like a not a regulated person, but I'm like, oh, I think I can get myself back. Hopefully without causing too much harm. But I see my toddler, he tells me I'm frustrated. And then he has to do a physical hit something or throw something you can express how you're feeling i it's okay that you're feeling that way but i'm trying to not have you do the next thing well is that next thing okay sometimes I sometimes think, like, i want to punch a something wall or, not a wall, I, like a pillow or something you know i don't so know maybe we need a vanessa help i don't know yeah, yeah every know. time i punch someone i just apologize after and it's like, <laughs> it works out well sarcasm for, for the audience <laughs> the repair is a big deal <laughs> yeah. i lose my license after this podcast I, so, okay. I want to preface by saying I am not a child expert. I work a lot with teens and adults. I don't want you to think that I've got all the child answers. So one, thankfully there's a lot of specific resources out there for this. Have you heard of Dr. Becky, Dr. Becky at good inside? I'm trying to think if that is the podcast I was listening to. She's such a good resource. Oh my gosh. I literally texted Mary the (laughs) podcast from her today. She just sent me this today. And I was like, I'm so challenged. My child's three months old. So, you know, I'm going to have some time. I just need to bounce it off you because I don't understand. (laughs) I really trust her as a professional. I don't know her personally, but after just like spending a lot of time with her resources, I feel really confident in in spreading that as a resource. Okay. But I will say I do a lot of inner child work. I feel like inner child work is pretty in a good way, like trendy right now. I think one of the main things that's important when you do inner child work and what I would assume is true for children, but can't claim to know is to make sure that they feel heard and understood. And I know that's not a mind blowing statement, but when I work with clients who are connecting with a younger part of themselves, regardless of the age or circumstance, One of the first steps that has to happen in order to move to the other steps that involve healing is to get essentially the whole picture and the whole story from the part of them that's hurt. There's so much value in giving space to just say like, I understand that. You don't even have to say, I agree with it. You can just say you were so mad when your mom didn't listen to you or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking inner child work, not just you didn't listen to your toddler. But if you go back to a memory that was hurtful, for the client's younger self. And then you just validate it. Just say like, yep, that sounds really confusing as a four-year-old or whatever. Then there can be room to start to say, how do you wish that actually went? Or Hmm. what did you actually need that you didn't get? And then there's a lot of other activities you can do in the therapeutic Hmm. setting to help bring healing there and help release some of that hurt or fear. But if we're looking at like a literal child in front of you, I think the validation is probably pretty important. 
for anyone watching, I am going to show the card that you just described. <laughs> Ask what do I need right now? And I love it. You just brought the things on the back say things you might need. And like, dude, there's just options of things to think about, right? To feel validated, someone to listen to you, fresh air, a moment to cry, a distraction, a nap, water, a hug. And it says pick at least one, ask a trusted person for their participation if needed. We're going to drop a, a link in the show notes so you'll be able to yes. find this deck if you want to get it. Yes, please. The support just, I just deck. love that we just had this example of one and that was one of my favorite ones and you talked about it. So I'm sorry, I had to go back oh, to I it. Oh, I love that. And I want to give a quick shout out to the illustrator. I wrote all these cards and you know created the concept, but one of my friends did all of the illustrations. She's the one who's selling it through her website. So odd just, daughter right correct yeah, yeah odd daughter and she just makes they're so beautiful i wanted to validate what you were saying and legitimize about having that language with other adult relationships that just make you so pissed that you just wanted to like punch your coworker. usually people are like yeah you get it you didn't have to <laughs> psychoanalyze them they just were like yep you heard me correctly i was so mad and this goes back to the thing you started with with the card of get curious about yourself if you're in a space to do this, you can ask yourself all the same questions and repeat it back to yourself in your head or out loud. You could say like, Vanessa, that was so insane. You just wanted to scream at them, didn't you? And it's like, yep, I did. I hate them. And then you can just have a whole conversation with yourself, but you can feel understood by talking to yourself that way. That's actually helpful. I like to talk to myself. <laughs> can there we delete that? <laughs> <laughs> That's creepy. Anyway, next question. <laughs> I was listening to another podcast on anxiety. <gasps> I know. I'm just kidding. I, know. I betrayed. No, uh, typically when I think about someone that's anxious, I think about someone that underfunctions. Before I listened to that podcast, I was like, I wouldn't consider myself somebody that like deals with anxiety because I overfunction. Some of the underfunctions, I can think of people I know and they like recluse do nothing, don't show up to the event, you know, all those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought, oh, okay, I, I don't resonate with those feelings. But the reverse of that, I'm curious what you know about this, Vanessa, or how you can help someone, someone, me, maybe Taylor <laughs> being called out, uh, maybe all of us, I don't yeah, know. I become like, who a, tend to, I need to do everything. I need to clean up. Like, everything. okay, I'm not going to underfunction. I'm going to do it all. I'm going to show up even though I'm anxious. I'm going to get the list done because it, it will busy and distract me from anything else. What would you advise someone? Do you have any resources or tools you'd recommend for someone that does too much? <laughs> it's, that's such a good question because you can overfunction in so many different ways. And I'm thinking a lot about relationships. People can overfunction in relationships when they have maybe an insecure attachment style. The overfunctioning concept is really interesting to read about because it's also very culturally accepted. Societally, it's very normal for us to just be like, oh, do you do everything and you don't sleep? Nobody thinks that's a red flag. Um, <laughs> so it's easy for that to go under the radar, you know, and not realize you don't have to be in that space. You don't have to answer this, but the question I would ask to whomever, to it's a friend, fine. you can yeah, ask to yeah. my friend, ask for a friend. Yeah, ask for a friend, Meredith. I would ask. Okay, so I would wonder how is overfunctioning a detriment to you? See, I am so terrible. I literally, my first thought was, it's not. I get to be distracted and I get to do things, and I don't have to deal with some things. I 
I would take a different spin because I start to feel like I'm an island. I have to do everything myself. No mm. one will do it right enough. I just have to do it all by myself. I can't ask for help because everyone disappoints me. Let me just do everything. Mm. And it's kind of isolating okay. and not accurate. Exhausting? Exhausting. Yeah, definitely that. See, I think I'm twisted in the head and I'm like, I get a high. That's <laughs> no, your friend, of, Meredith. It's your friend. My friend. Sorry. I don't know. Maybe no, maybe no one out there is like me, but I, I get like a high off of overfunctioning. But then I realize I'm not doing some other things I should be doing. And then I feel really guilty. Oh, that's how it doesn't serve me. There you go. I feel really guilty for not doing some things that I know I should be doing. And like then I yourself? like taking care of myself or things on my to-do list that should get done mm -hmm. or things that I know are important to other people around me. And then I'll do a bunch of other things and be like, but I'm really productive over here. <laughs> right. Okay. So Meredith, I'm going to start with your example. And then Taylor, I want to address yours too. Cause they both, those are both really common ways to overfunction slash cope with something. Meredith. Yeah. I would say the detriment that I heard is you're feeling some guilt. Maybe you're neglecting some things that you want to be doing. I don't yeah. know, like, like taking care of yourself in whatever form that would look like or being productive in other specific ways that might feed into the need to be overproductive because subconsciously or consciously, you might be like, well, I don't want to feel guilty and I don't want to think about all the stuff I'm supposed to be doing. So yeah. now I'm going to keep overfunctioning. So it actually might just kind of be feeding into Ooh. this loop. Oh yeah. Cyclical cycle. I'm right in there. I'm running. <laughs> Which there are levels to unhealthy coping skills. This is not a horrible one. It's just if you want to change it, you can. Then you can maybe start to address like what would it feel like to sit with the guilt or what would it feel like to process through it? Or is that really horrible? And no wonder you're overfunctioning. Okay. You don't have to be like, great, I have to sit with my guilt all night. Not that at all. It just hmm. it just gives you data when you ask those questions and then you can decide. Did you hear that? You just say data on this uh, You just said data. I just want <laughs> to point that out. Right Everyone is really excited. <laughs> <laughs> great. Okay, so we're collecting more data. Well, I heard two things, Talk Doc. I heard one is collect data, which is doing research on yourself. And the second thing I heard was an option of what uh, Talk Doc, if you've heard some of our uh, episodes, Vanessa, is trading comfort for growth moment. Instead of continuing to sit in my comfort, which is to do, even if it's not mm -hmm. the things I need to be doing, but mm -hmm. just producing, to stop, slow down, and ask myself why I'm feeling guilty or why I'm not doing these other things. Yes, but I want you to know it doesn't have to look a certain way and it doesn't have to, you don't have to do a 180 either. Your physical system, your internal system might just be protecting you from this sense of guilt just around being so busy, but it's actually connected to something either bigger or just a lot of things ha that have added up over the years, probably trying to prevent you from thinking about it or sitting with it for a reason. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't. It just means be really gentle with yourself when you do it. If you want to process it with one of your friends and just be like, can you just be a sounding board for me? But you know, they're emotionally safe. You could do it there or, yeah. or with your spouse. I just don't want anybody to feel like they have to do a 180 if they realize one of their coping skills isn't really great. Sure, sure. And I think one thing I have learned is if I stop over functioning, who am I? Or people will think I'm lazy or I'm not doing enough. Well, is it because I think that that translates into, am I not enough? And it becomes this whole identity sick, crisis. Yeah. So now I'm just over busy to myself and I feel guilty because I didn't address some of the things I should have addressed. But if I stop over busy myself and do less and do the things I should do, then I don't think I'm doing a good person. 
Right. <laughs> it's like, so it's like weird. It's still overfunctioning. <laughs> this is showing why your system adopted this coping tool because they're like, well, we're seeing an alternative and mm-hmm. it seems like that's your only alternative. That's where, you know, there's like hope because of course that's not your only alternative is doing less and then not having a lot of value. But the part of you that wants you to overfunction and is trying to protect you from feeling guilty thinks that might be the only other scenario. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, totally makes sense. In a therapeutic setting, the direction I would take it is let's listen to the parts of you that are really afraid of what other people would think or feeling the pressure of kind of worth or value you have based Mm -hmm. on how productive you are and help those parts feel heard going back. Oh, Mm -hmm. did it just make you so mad you had to clean your whole house or whatever (laughs) and give those parts of you space to feel heard about their concerns and their fears for Mm -hmm. your well-being and then from there, you can provide some data to those parts of you that were trying to act protectively, yeah. but you can't start there. My philosophy is you can't start there. If you immediately were like, hey, to the parts of me that want me to be overproductive or overfunction, let's instead do something else. You never heard their experience mm-hmm. and you never gave them space to tell you what their fears are if you do something different. So mm-hmm. it's probably not going to stick. So mm-hmm. I feel strongly about leaving room for listening to yourself. And again, that, whether that's talking out loud to yourself, talking to your spouse, talking to a professional, whatever, journaling. Thank you, Vanessa. Enough about me and my problems. Now, Taylor. Fix me. <laughs> the island. <laughs> I do love that you both stated you were on an island. You're not. You both are experiencing something really similar. It's just manifesting differently, but... It doesn't mean you're crazy. You're both described a similar feeling. So I mean, Taylor, I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know Taylor, so I could be We've wrong. We've accepted it. <laughs> I just want I just I want to win at this. I want hers to be worse <laughs> than mine. So <laughs> that's how we're yeah. gonna win. Okay. Yeah. Okay, just kidding. My best friend choice. I don't yeah. gotta rethink <laughs> this a little bit. What I interpreted it is you feel a lot of pressure around things needing to be done a certain way. You take the pressure on yourself so they can be done the right way. But yes. then it can feel really isolating because nobody else is helping you. Is that accurate? Yeah, I've tried to learn how to ask for help, but then mm-hmm. accept the help that I get. And I just have ridiculous standards for myself and others. In a similar way to the getting curious about parts of Meredith that popped up around guilt or fear, for yours, it sounds like you have someone in there, some part of you in there feels afraid of something either going wrong, you being perceived as doing something wrong, or maybe even as general as things feeling out of control. If you were to just say, oh, I just have to learn to accept help, that doesn't actually quell any fears of the parts of you that are worried, but things could still go out of control if I take their help or if they do it wrong or if I do it wrong Mm -hmm. or if I change up the Mm -hmm. system. My philosophy is to spend more time, non-judgmental, compassionate time with the parts of you that are trying to keep you from changing your behavior and understand what they're afraid of and either help update them on what's actually going on in your life and that you're safe or whatever, or realizing potentially that this is connected to something bigger and then you can help process through the bigger thing and then it won't affect your functioning as much. Sounds like homework. I can work on that. You're good at homework. You did a lot of mine in college. No, I love homework. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Similar to what you were saying, it costs my husband the most. Like if I'm doing everything and can't receive help, it's a, mo- a big motivation to me because I feel like it hurts the, my most intimate people the most because mm. then I can't show up for them in the ways I want to show up for and they matter to me. I never thought about that. So in both those answers, it sounds like your philosophy is let's not just think of different ways to do things differently. 
let's start with feeling, validating, hearing where the, the anxiety originates. And then we'll talk strategies later because that will dictate what the strategies are. Is that? Yes, yes. And you just unlocked something I, I think is important to share about this. Two things, actually. One of them is the standpoint I'm coming from is that all of our parts of us, you know, we're multifaceted. Sometimes we feel scared, happy, mad, all at the same time, whatever. All these different pieces of us, different emotions. I'm coming from a place of looking at them as all good. They all have good intentions. And we're not actually trying to have any parts of us leave. We're just hmm. trying to help them all integrate so that one isn't just hijacking the other one, depending on the situation. So if we're operating from that standpoint, that none of these parts of us are bad, it's not like a part of you, Taylor, wants to hijack your relationship with your husband. They're actually probably trying to protect it. They're just doing it in a way that they don't have all the information. A lot of times when we go inward, that's what I would say is the step is to go inward. Ideally, get curious about what's happening for you. When you give space to these parts that oftentimes don't feel heard or don't have space to express what they're feeling or feeling afraid of. Once they have room to be heard and understood, a lot of times a part of you will have inner knowledge of what's going to be better. It could be that the part of you that is wanting you to overfunction and they make sure that you always clean the house and nobody else helps you, they may still like cleaning but then they might have more clarity on, but I actually hate vacuuming. So I really do always want to clean the kitchen, but I don't want to vacuum. And they just might have some more clarity over like mm. cleaning the kitchen gives me like, a sense of control. It's not preventing me from spending time with my family, but I've got more clarity on what I actually want to be doing when I'm cleaning. Mm -hmm. Or this part might feel like I've always wanted to just read more fiction. And so you just get this inner knowing of actually what I want to do on my breaks is read instead of clean because you're a functioning adult with a lot of resources, you're still able to handle stressful situations and you don't always have to just fall back on the over-functioning. What I'm hearing is you're asking yourself, it's that curiosity, what you actually need versus diving too hard into just doing. And it's not inherently bad. If you end up mindlessly being productive, as long as you also have space to, you feel like you're balanced in your life, mindlessly being productive and like turning your brain off might be fine. It's just how you feel like it is or isn't a detriment to your life. Yeah. It sounds like, like we down. may be all a little bit similar. I have a relationship with people that are more under-functioning, I think sometimes. How do we have tools for those people and how do we respond to those people in anxiety? It's obviously going to manifest differently how you speak to yourself or speak to somebody when you're doing the whole like getting curious thing. And also sometimes if you're over-functioning or under-functioning, you just might not have the emotional capacity to do the getting curious thing. That's mm -hmm. fine. That mm -hmm. does not have to be step one, no matter what. That might be step eight. Mm -hmm. But for somebody who's under-functioning, typically it can be isolating from people. It can be maybe hard to get out of bed, hard to do personal hygiene. It can be hard to speak. In the same way that an over-functioning person, it's a protectant to maybe feeling things they don't want to feel or addressing things they don't want to address, under-functioning is a different way of protecting your system. We, if you don't move, you can't get hurt. Mm. Or there's no point to showering, so we're not going to because as long as we think there's not a point, then we can't get rejected because there already isn't a point. There's usually some kind of logic in there. Mm even if it's on like some kind of subconscious level of just trying to protect you from something that feels scary or hurtful 
Like and I don't have to show up to that social event because then I won't feel rejected. I won't have to go through that or people don't have to see me or, or whatever. Exactly right. Like there's no risk of anybody pointing and laughing at me or thinking I look stupid if I don't even go. Mm-hmm. Or if I don't apply for that job or if I don't risk this or if I don't try the good relationship versus the ones I've done. Yeah. <laughs> Years ago, a therapist told me her general vetting strategy is if the thing makes your world bigger, it's usually good. And if something makes your world smaller, it's usually not good. Oh, I like that. She said not 100%. But what I heard you just describe is if you are under functioning, and you're seeking to make your world smaller, so less interactions, less going outside, less seeing people, that would be in the category of making your world smaller. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that just seems like a a way we could think about, do I have an actual problem that I need to address? You know, because we talked about stress versus anxiety. And I would think if you're actively trying to make your world smaller, you probably have a condition, I would suppose, or think that you would need some assistance. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And even like a classic underfunctioning symptom might be, you know, watching Netflix for 12 hours or like never getting off your phone for a day. And that's just another way of distracting you from feelings that would be unpleasant. So overfunctioning, over underfunctioning, it's essentially trying to help you not feel horrible mm-hmm. because your system feels like you're going to get overwhelmed. And if you start to address whatever it is, even if you don't know what it is, you're like, I don't know, but if I touch it, it's going to be too big. Mm-hmm. So I want to just throw out one thing about diagnosing. I can diagnose with my degree and my licensure. So I do that. I think it's really helpful for shared language. So if I say this client has a generalized anxiety disorder, either my colleague and I are just already going to know what I mean by that. Or if I share it with the client, they can do their own research and be like, oh, this is, you know, I feel more normal or I do hit all nine of these bullet points you know, or whatever. So it can, it can just give shared language and a common understanding. And it also is needed for insurance. So if a Mm -hmm. therapist is billing insurance for some of it, you have to Mm -hmm. have a diagnosis in there and then they have to deem that diagnosis legit. I think outside of insurance and common language, diagnosing doesn't matter because it's Mm -hmm. just, how is this affecting you? And then asking these questions of your own system of what do you need? Earlier, you guys were talking about, is it just stress or is it something that could be diagnosed? That's why I was going back to how is it affecting you? Because that's really all that actually matters. Are you able to feel like you're thriving in your life? And it's fine. It doesn't matter if you have generalized anxiety disorder, you're fine. But if you're not fine, well, we can help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. That was a good nugget. That was, yeah. Lots of, lots of good nuggets. I guess what you're saying, like if it's not a problem for you, then you don't technically need to do anything. Do we know what happens when people don't address the anxiety in their life? What are the effects on the body? If, I don't know. Oh, look, like you were talking about with your history of your yeah. family, Vanessa, like all this, the effects on the body. Yeah, there's if, if you don't know, if you don't have the language for it, you don't have a community where this is normal to discuss it, or you have it and you don't deal with it. Right. What's going to happen? <laughs> Well, I think, Taylor, you brought up a good point. I am glad you're helping me clarify this now. I don't want it to sound like if you feel really happy with your narcissism, like, don't worry about it. You don't have to do anything. (laughs) I just mean, if if you are feeling distress from something, it's legitimate to ask for help. I have somebody else in my family, other side of my family, who gets migraines when they're really stressed or around certain other family members they're fine with it. They're like, this is not great. It only happens once a year and it's fine. 
And they're like, and I don't want to open up this can of worms. I'm like getting older. I don't need to start dealing with stuff about my mom. I am living a really great life, Mm -hmm. except those few times where I run into these people. I think that person's fine. If they wanted to do the work, that's great. But if they're fine and the relationships are good and they're happy and the people around them are happy. So that's a scenario where, yeah, something's off. It's affecting your functioning sometimes, but you don't want to dive into it. You don't have to. Well, I think you said daily functioning was sort of the standard to compare it to. Are we talking about something that affects me daily like versus what you just described, which is very occasionally? So you could mm-hmm. just kind of gauge essentially like how how distressing is this for me? It, mm-hmm. it can either be it's minorly distressing every day, very distressing every day, or just horrifying once a month. And that's enough to want to change something in your life. Mm-hmm. And there is relief. Yeah. If you do I am hearing that a lot. Do the work. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there are options to reduce your anxiety and there are tools that you've shared today and also in options or activities like that your support deck talks about or finding trusted people. So I'm hearing. Yeah. Then how do you know if you're anxious? I feel like this is something I'm really just learning because I never really would have considered myself an anxious person. Yeah, I, I really relate with that in terms of what we we're talking about earlier. How do you how do you spot it? How do you spot an over functioning anxiety? Like you said earlier, like there's no red flag. I don't ever take a day off or I work when or I'm like sick. Or like those people who work out a ton and we so praise that culture. Yeah. We praise productivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, like that, culture, that gives me a sense like of self worth. Good for you. You're so hardworking. Yeah. Instead of it being this thing I want to praise in myself, I would mm-hmm. like to wonder as an overfunctioner, how do I see it coming? It's like the train that's coming, and like I like to hop on and go really fast, but maybe how do I miss that train sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> are, are you saying how do we find out when anxiety is driving some behavior? Is that is that what you mean? How do I know when it's creeping up? Sort of a little bit of a tangent example, but for the first time, my partner, I felt I was going to become defensive instead of just doing the thing. Yeah, and I was, and I literally was like the first time in my life mid-30s did it, learned it. It was like, this is happening. Something about how you're saying something or this conversation, I'm going to get really defensive in a minute if we don't just take a second. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have literally never done that. I've arrived. <laughs> and I was like, and then I like literally, it was a funny moment. I was like, did you hear that? Did you hear what I just did? I just like said it before I did it. How do I do that with anxiety? How do I feel it creeping up in me before it comes out? Before you start over-functioning. Yeah. Before I start overfunctioning or under, I mean, I, I I feel that freeze thing. I get that sometimes in tension that before the act of anxiety, of the anxious feeling comes out of me or overdoes or does less. Is there ways of noticing that in your body? Not every time, but a lot of times you could get physical cues before it registers intellectually that you might be having some kind of anxiety response. If that's the case for you know the person listening, they might realize they get nauseous. Or, and they're just like, I'm everything's fine. And I didn't eat anything weird, but I do feel a little nauseous or they just notice, I actually don't want to do this. This thing I've been looking forward to all week. Now that it's happening, I don't want to do it. Just something that feels like a shift Mm -hmm. from their, their homeostasis. It can be really helpful to notice the physical cues, a stomach ache, headache, even like dry mouth, sweaty, like all the COVID symptoms (laughs) ending up (laughs) describing panic. Oh my God. I love that. But so it could just be really anything or even like you're, you start like tapping your leg a lot or like you're fidgety. Like you can just get to know your own physical cues 
but it also might not be physical. A lot of people for a number of reasons don't feel very connected to their body. So they wouldn't be able to emotionally safely say, I'm feeling a little sick. I wonder what that could be. They just might be super disconnected. So, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's just information. So instead they might just notice I'm starting to think a lot more worst case scenarios than normal, or I'm starting to Mm -hmm. think of ways to get out of this event, or you can just sort of start to log what you notice and that can give you cues. But I also think it's pretty normal to be like mid going up the anxiety roller coaster and then be like halfway up and be like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. You can, you can already be feeling it and then learn to regulate. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It, you know, sometimes for anxiety, because its function is to essentially keep you alive. If there was a car careening towards you, you don't need to be like, you know what, before this car hits me, I w- I'm wondering if I wore the right thing to run quickly. Like you don't need to logic it out. <laughs> in those scenarios, You know, so like yeah, your brain yeah. is made to just go automatic, go to this response. So it's okay if you have some anxious feelings and then catch it. That's also mm-hmm. totally fine. It's just a matter of, is it harming your life? You know, or are you just like, ugh, I didn't feel good for a minute, but then mm. a couple minutes passed and I figured it out. Just thought of an example of a, is this the word disassociated or like disconnected from the body example? Yep. Both, yeah. Where like, I just thought I had a ha- bad habit of biting my nails or like picking at my nails. I was like, it's just a, just a bad habit. Yeah. But I learned as I had less anxious feelings, I did that less. Mm. And as I had more peaceful relationships, I did that less. As I had better boundaries, I did that less. And that's something that, and then that is like a still growing. What? And now look at my hands. How are you? I know you, you would be proud of that. What I'm hearing is that anxiety is good. And I remember that conversation we had with Jamal, one of my favorites, where he was saying, it's telling you that you need to have a conversation with yourself. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you didn't need me on. You just needed that sentence. No, but that, <laughs> no, but, that, but this helps us understand now what do we do mm. after we know that's okay. So we need to have that conversation. We need to look inward yeah. and be curious. And then there's some actual practical steps. I love the walk outside. Yeah. Well, I just appreciate you saying, Vanessa, that, yeah, sometimes I notice when I'm on the roller coaster and, and then you're saying, I used to be beat myself up about it because I was like, I was halfway up, but now hearing what you say that is like, that's okay. Okay. Instead of just like fighting that and make that another anxious thing, it's like, okay, I've I've connected, I've recognized it. Now let's get curious, right? Or whatever the option is. Yeah. Where the reverse is, I never knew that that body thing I was doing, the biting my nails, I just was like bad habit since I was a kid, whatever. Actually, when there was more serenity, more, less anx- anxious events or things in my life, I stopped doing this habit that was actually gross and harmful to myself, <laughs> you know? Oh. Um, I never thought about it like that. I don't know, I'm having a light bulb moment. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to address anxiety with what's causing you distress or like what's screwing up your life. It can just, you can just work through stuff as it feels natural to you. Now I'm working through some defensive responses or now I'm working through relationship stuff and it's all going to be tied together. Hmm. So if you're showing compassion for yourself and listening to yourself and providing space for growth, anxiety issues will sort of be addressed in one way or another. You may have to do specific focus on it too, like for me or for somebody with a phobia. I don't want anybody to feel like now that you've identified you're anxious or if you've always known you're anxious, you have to do something about it. You can you can just work on experiencing peace and what that means to you or growing and what that means to you. And that's going to have a domino effect in your hmm. anxiety symptoms too. Hmm. 
Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's one of my favorite questions, just to yes. personally. What are you most proud of? Ooh. In any category of anything? Anything. I would answer this, even if I was a, on a podcast about like scrapbooking, I would, I would have this <laughs> answer, but it isn't related to anxiety. I've never thought that I could enjoy my life. I thought I just had to white knuckle it. Mm-hmm. And I've realized through a lot of supportive people, professionals, my own growth that even for somebody like me, you know, you can feel like you're on an island somewhere. Even for somebody like me, I could do the impossible work, even work that wasn't my own generational trauma, stuff that gets passed on to you through epigenetics, not my fault, but I had to do the work for my ancestors anyway. It's not even their fault, but I did all all this work. I could feel really pissed about it. It felt really unfair, but then I got to the other side and felt like, oh my gosh, I just did the hardest thing in the world. And now I feel like I'm mostly living my life with like open palms. Mm. like I said earlier younger Vanessa just she didn't know that was possible and so I'm really proud that we put in the work and it was so scary we were scared of everything but if we can do it we can help other people do it too I love that thanks Vanessa thank you for sharing that I know we touched on it earlier but can you share a little bit about where we can hear more from you yeah I'm not super active outside of my literal private practice but I have a website and it's got resources on there and more information about the type of therapy I do if people are in Orange County and looking for a therapist. And then I'm on Instagram at Vanessa Trine Therapy. Oh, and my website's vanessatrine.com. Got it. And my Instagram honestly is mostly just versions of these coping tools that mm-hmm. are in the support deck. It's really just a place for ways to feel some relief. I love following you. So yes, Thanks. I love it. Vanessa Trine Therapy. We'll put all of this in the show notes so you can follow her on Instagram. You can check out the website. We'll also put the information about the support deck, which are those cards that we talked about. And so if any of you want to grab that. Good Christmas gifts, just saying. I know, but what if you you get that from someone? Don't give them as a call out. We need this. (laughs) Like I put it in all my kids' stockings this year and they're going to be like, what the heck? I gave it as a gift to somebody that I had a conversation with and it was a really nice thing, I thought. And then I also got it for myself because I just like it. Dude, yeah. You need this. <laughs> yeah. It's me, not you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> right on. I love you. Yeah. Thanks Thank you so me. much. I'm so happy. Thanks to for be. being here yeah. and sharing with us, Vanessa. And yes, working through your anxiety so you could be here and teach us and everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It means a lot. Thanks for asking me. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Please remember to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.